or welcome to the Field of 12 After Dark, presented by our friends at Bet Rivers. Excited to join the show tonight, fellas. Uh, fired up when I saw the rundown, I'm not going to lie. I got Clint Sterner, Christian Hackenberg, two of the, the realists of the reals in major college football. Guys, your careers speak for themselves. And now tonight we get to speak for ourselves and talk about this great game that we love on a Tuesday. You can also check us out on the SiriusXM app, wherever you listen to that. Just Google Field of 12 after dark. We got it. So first, Clint Hack, how we living, man? Man, I'm living, I'm living good, man. I this this time of night, chop up a little college football after doing some radio throughout the day. Got the uh got the baby girl in the bed. She don't sleep real good yet at seven months. Got her in the bed and, and mama's in there watching Bachelorette, man. I, life is good right now. <laughs> Hack, how where, you doing, where would you rather be, Yogi? That's that's the that's the first question <laughs> I'll ask. Where would you rather be? I'm just happy to be here, like Clint said. It's going to be a good night. I'm excited excited to start dissecting some of the stuff from this past weekend and what we got coming up. All right, so we're going to do our toast. I love this part of the show. Um, toast your favorite overreaction from week two in major college football. I'm going to kick it off. I'm going to toast a dramatic overreaction to Notre Dame and saying that their head coach isn't the guy. I think that he is. I think they'll be fine. It might not take the first six weeks of the season. It might take a year and a half. I don't know. But I think that Notre Dame does have the guy as the head coach. I think the overreaction is that he's not ready for it. What else you guys got? I'm going to toast to a little something here, Yog. And you, you, some some may call it an overreaction. Um, but I'm here for the overreaction, even when it costs you $7.5 million. Oh, Trev okay. Alberts, I believe that's your name, uh, the athletic director mm-hmm. at the athletic director at Nebraska, I, I, there may be a board of directors behind behind the scenes, but he's the mouthpiece. Uh, Trev Albert taking, uh, you know, instead of waiting three more weeks and saving seven and a half million, he said, nah, we're, we're not going to wallow in this in this mess no more. We're going to go ahead and cut the head of the snake off. We're going to make some changes around here and, and try to at least, uh, you know, stop the slide in, in downhill and start trending in the right direction. Start cleaning this thing up a little bit, even though it's going to cost us seven and a half million. So uh, I don't know if it's an overreaction. Maybe it is. Maybe it was too quick. Maybe you should have waited. But uh, here's to to making a decision and uh, and rolling with it. Cheers to that. Yeah, I'll drink to that. So, um, I think my overreaction, and I'm going to head down to Texas, and I'm going to say this: I'm not quite on board or as sold as some people are saying Texas football's back Texas football's back it's a very small sample size you showed up against Alabama I think it's a foot in the right direction I'm kind of itching towards the train because I do want to give Sark the benefit of the doubt and again the way they showed up was really really impressive if they could keep the vast majority of that headed forward throughout the season I think they got a good chance to compete so I'm going to cheers to that as an overreaction, but tentatively kind of like Clint, I'm kind of on it a little bit. I'm, I got like one foot in. All right. All right. I got you. React to that. Come on. Come on. All right. All right. So we got a lot we're going to talk about tonight. Just give you a little off the top here. Talking about some of the struggles that were referenced, whether it was Nebraska, whether it was Bama <laughs> struggling, or one could say, hey, actually they played a competitive team, right? What foot are you in one feet or two feet on the Texas train? Uh, we saw the Sun Belt. Obviously have a, a monumental weekend, major props to them. How about Clay Helton? That's just magic. Like that's like football karma. We were talking about that Saturday night in our broadcast of to the day, right? 
a year to the day he gets bounced after losing to Stanford. Then he takes on Nebraska. Just wild. Uh, SC jump up into the top 10. I'm calling their game next week. Excited about the Trojans. They go to Corvallis next week, but this week they host Fresno State in like the Reggie Bush memory game. We all remember where we were. Mm-hmm. Mac, you were a little guy then. Yeah, I, but hear I, was, I was story. still on it though. I was still on. Oh, yeah. I was still on the Reggie train. You were on it, and I and props to your dad because that was a night game. Yep. I was that was I think my first year coaching. So you were up late on the yep. East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll go down memory lane there. Uh, we're gonna talk about Nebraska and a, and a lot. So a lot more. So let's just start. Uh, with Alabama and Texas. And I want to preface this, Clint, I'm going to start with you. I think we live in a world based on region where we can be like, oh, gritty win by Alabama over Texas, just a gritty win or a gritty win by Ohio State over Notre Dame or wherever you want to go. And then you can go to another region of the country and it could be like, it's an ugly win. That was, a, that was an ugly win. And you can have a similar situation. Um, I, I want to know what you think. Like, was Alabama gritty? Or was it ugly? Like, did they get the benefit of the doubt as one of the top teams in the country? Or did they show a lot of flaws? And then for Texas, same deal. Like, did they just play up? Like we saw in Notre Dame in week one against Ohio State and then fall yeah. flat in the loss to Marshall in week two. Curious where you net out on gritty versus yeah. ugly and, and what was real around Bama, Texas in front of 100,000. I mean, look, I, I would lean gritty um, just simply because it's so early in the year. Yogan, we don't know who's who, man. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if they have any receivers. Like, I, I don't know if they have any dudes at wide receiver that the quarterback Bryce Young can depend on. Uh, I, I don't know if they have the the power run game. I know they got a little Alvin Kamara like running back in Gibbs, but so I don't really know offensively what they are, who they are, um, and, and I don't think that they're they're going to be able to just continue to reload like we've seen them in the past at those skill positions where three guys get drafted in the first round and here comes three more. Um, and, and, you know, in the transfer portal grabbing guys. So just for the sake of, I don't know who they have and who they really are in Alabama, I would say it's a gritty win, but all the penalties really put me in a spot of where I want to go ugly. I, I want to go that they just looked bad and got away with a win, but I, I'm going to say gritty simply because, I'm going to them, give them the benefit of the doubt of not knowing them real well right now. All right, Hack, where do you net out on this? Yeah, I think I think you learned a lot about that Alabama team. I don't want to reiterate what Clint said because I agree with the vast majority of it. Um, I think they were a little undisciplined. Um, well, a little, very undisciplined and very uncharacteristic of a Nick Saban coach football team. So I know they'll get that cleaned up, um, what that nets out to. You know, that's you gotta you gotta really dive into the into the tape and and see what happens next week. But um, yeah, I, I give him the benefit of the doubt, and it mainly goes to Bryce Young. I was very surprised at that. Something that I've said over and over again is that the quarterback position is the most dependent position in football. You could have all the talent in the world, what you got around you, and and the scheme you're in, and the confidence level that those coaches have in you that you can then play with. It's it's hugely massively. Uh, affecting effective of how kids play um and i was really impressed with how bryce young answered the bell um you know uh, hearing some stuff you know hey he's really not that good he's overrated he's used to having all these horses to throw to and this and that he went out and won a game against a really good team that came up that's got talent um in a different way and i think it's going to be a great year for him to build that and kind of show that he is as talented as he is because i know i know that's the case so um i, I i'm i'm more of gritty and impressed with how Bryce Young answered some adversity that he really hasn't faced. 
Yeah, I, I agree with both of you. I think that like when you hear like, oh, it was an ugly win. I think that's when we become like elitist in college football and we forget that like these kids still go to class. Like they're still 18 to 22. Like you guys remember when you were playing, like every week mm-hmm. isn't going to be perfect. Even if you are Alabama, like it's sometimes like it's going to get hard. You're going to get other t- teams best. Maybe you got in a fight with your girlfriend. Like maybe you failed a class. Like there's, there's things that go on. And I think in college football, we forget that. And we just put like, like for this year, after week one, it was Bama Clemson and everybody else. Right. When we were lighting up Ohio State, uh, Notre Dame game, they should have rolled. They didn't. And I think sometimes we just forget that everybody's not going to be perfect. Like you guys know you play in the NFL, like defensively. I've always felt the college to the NFL difference was in college. Like I take a spot drop in the league. I take like an exact exacto knife. Like I know exactly where I'm going to spot drop. And I, there's not going to be any room for error We're in college, like two to three yards, a foot here, foot there. And all of a sudden the ball's behind my ear for a completion or a touchdown or explosive play. And I don't know. I just looked at that and and watching Bryce in the end, when we all saw that moment and it captured all of us of like, yep, this dude does what elite players are supposed to do. And, and then I look at their schedule and it's what Louisiana Monroe Vanderbilt, and then they get Arkansas and then they Mm -hmm. get a and M for the battle of who can be louder around NIL. But what do you think about Bama? And Georgia, now Georgia becomes the top team in the country. Is there a separation of those two? And then Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson, OU, SC, Oklahoma State, Kentucky, et cetera. Oh, man. I mean, look, I think think there is definitely separation. Uh, I think the question is, is what does that gap look like? Look, I mean, I think Georgia, based on last year, the way they finished the last three football games, um, the way that Stetson Bennett and that offense has, has come out, guns blazing this year in a time when the defense has to rebuild, reload, restock right there. Um, I think he's buying he's buying Kirby Smart a little bit of time to get that defense right. And I don't know if Kirby needs it or not. He may not. But but that offense playing the way that they're playing has shown me um, that what we saw last year in the championship game wasn't just a flash in the pan. So whether it's Auburn's defense that was super dominant last year or their offense that appears to be uh, hitting on all cylinders this year, I think when it's all said and done, they are the one team that that I'm more convinced is the number one team in the country, the best team in the country. Uh, and then I think Alabama is good enough for me to say, okay, well, the saving factor is going to put them closer to Georgia than they are whoever whoever I have at number three or whoever I think that third-ranked team is. So I still think it's Georgia, Alabama right now. But that's a good question, man. Yo, it's so early in the year, man, uh, in terms of trying to, to – to to put somebody in the same category with, you know, the top team in the country, you're trying to compare those two, man. I it, it's um it's tough for me right now. Yeah. So, hack. Let me ask you this question: Like the AP poll, like I think part of it is pointless, and part of it we get right. It just adds yeah. to the hype and the excitement and all the things that are around the patriarchy of college football. But a lot of it's based on historicals, as we know. Mm-hmm. If we didn't have historicals. And you just had like two weeks. W- what do you net out? Like if, if, you, if you didn't even know that Alabama football existed prior to two weeks ago or Georgia football yeah. like, had a championship run last year or Kentucky was been bad forever. And then all of a sudden they've had this incredible climb over. God, I think Stoops has been there almost a decade now, if not, if not a decade, you know, yeah. w- what would you net out? Like, what would your eyes tell you of like, you know what? Okay. Georgia, I get it at the top, but 
who who would you put two, three, four, based on yeah, literally wipe the slate clean in your memory? Yeah, just just watching it. I you know I think I agree. I think Georgia's a step ahead, and I actually think their defense they do it differently than they did last year, but they're still very very efficient, and I think they're going to be a problem. Um, yeah, I think Alabama's definitely the two. Again, it, it was one of those situations. The game had a ton of hype. Texas, who has talent, was finally playing up. Um, but I, I, I still believe in in Saban and his processes. To me, I'm going to take it home to the Big Ten. I think Ohio State, you know, I, I'm going to say this historically, but when you watch them play, Jackson Smith and Jigba got hurt mm. early in the Notre Dame game. Um, they kind of won – a different way. I'm not concerned about that offense getting geared up. I thought they showed a propensity and the ability to run the football, which is something they didn't do much last year. And then their defense improved tenfold to me. So um, I'm, I think Ohio state, just the way it works out, the way that that schedule always does and the way that team always does, they're going to build and they're definitely going to be a team that I think you could throw in there. And then from there, man, it's a toss up. I haven't been impressed with Clemson's ability outside to really separate. Um, and I think that's going to hurt them when you start playing the Georgias and the Alabamas of the world and even the Ohio States of the world. Um, and, but the, conversely, the team that I think has those horses is USC. So I think when you're talking about it, just watching it, I'd say that um, USC presents a ton of problems. I mean, you can't, if you load the box, you're playing one-on-one with four dudes who can win consistently against it. If you give them a, give them a clean five box, they can run the football up and down the field and do it in creative ways, different motions and stuff like that. So they present a ton of problems. Um, so for me, like that's the four teams that I'm really looking at right now. But again, to Clint's point, it's super early, you know, anything can happen. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to hear you give that answer. I loved it. Um, because you can't help but go back to like what you knew, right? Yeah. Like you've been like, so, so Clint, try, try the exercise, like just what you saw. I get Georgia. Yeah. Like, where are you going? J- just what you saw. Do your best. Yeah. I mean, I'll backtrack on my comments a little bit with Ohio, with, with Alabama and Ohio state. I, I do think Alabama is closer to Ohio state right now than they are than they are Georgia. Um, and hell, I, I think it, it potentially I could flip flop those two in the next couple of weeks. I mean, Ohio state is an unbelievably talented football team. They're as talented as anybody in the country. Um, and, and I don't think we've seen them play up to that potential yet. Um, but again, it's such a small sample size. So I, I would definitely, I want to backtrack a little bit. I, I would put Ohio State in that mix. Yo, here's the deal for me. I love the exercise that we're doing. I love the exercise we're doing because I'm a huge product guy. Like, I, like I, I'm just, a, I don't give a shit what you did last year. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't care who your coach is or isn't. Um, now we got to take things into consideration, like Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame, one of the top three coaches of all time. I'm obviously, but I love to watch a product. Of all and time. say it again. Of all time, like Notre Dame, all time, or just in general, all time. What, all time, what? I don't. know. You said Brian Kelly, top three coaches of all time. I well, I just well, hell, he's the winningest active coach, isn't it? I, I don't, I'm not a huge yeah, yeah. Brian Kelly fan, so I no, it. I don't. Get in, I don't want to get in that pissing match. No, I, I don't. I'm just curious. I, yeah, I don't. No, no, no. I, I, I just meant. I meant. I, I meant my statement Statistic. was like current coaches. Copy that. To, to hear some people. To hear some people tell it. Now that that's that's who Brian Kelly is right now. Um, yeah. but but you know, like I, I mean, I, I would take things like that into consideration when we're when we're talking. But I'm a big product guy, man. And like I watched Notre Dame week one, and you're like, there's nothing they can do to get better at quarterback. There's nothing. There's the, like the fact that 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 Notre Dame, I mean, in terms of recruiting and sex appeal, 
That is one of the the top, I mean, top programs in America year in, year out. The fact that you don't have a quarterback that that can that can sit in the pocket, get through progressions, and give you a chance to win a ball game from the pocket blows my mind. Now there's several universities that fit in that in that category, but that's the kind of thing that when I looked at it this year, coming into this year, and, and what you, you watch that first slate of games and you just go, this is not a top 10 team. You cannot be a top 10 football team with a quarterback that can, and I'm not banging on the kid. I mean, look, he's, it, it is what it is. There's, they, they, they're, they're, they don't have a quarterback and you can't be a top 10 team without a quarterback that plays at, at an extremely high level. And so I'm a big product guy. Point is, I love your, I love your, your exercise here. Um, I, again, I, I would go with hack with SC would be my fourth team. Um, I haven't seen Oklahoma enough to to really lean into Oklahoma right now, uh, but that but that's uh, that's who my top four would be. Yeah, it, it's a it's a fun exercise because we talked about it last week you know, around the CFP, right? Is it body of work or is it four best, right? In a, yeah. in late November, or whatever. There's always a debate, and we'll get to that at the end of the season. But I think it's interesting because as you look at like here, I am on the West Coast, right? If you looked at uh, a, and this is gonna this might blow your mind, but if I said like a team that's got two of the most impressive wins of the year because they've had two legit respectable programs. Uh, I look at like Oregon state, right? They beat Boise, rolled them and they beat Fresno on a super gutsy call uh, to go for it on to, to win the game and last play of the game instead of tie it and go for a field goal. But so I, I just say that because I look at like the AP and like they're, I think 33, maybe something like that. And then I look at some of the teams in the top five or the top 10 and we just haven't seen enough. So I think there's like a huge benefit of the doubt thing going on versus like, what does it look like? Like, what does it look like? And, and I can't believe I'm going to say it uh, because I still think Utah is the best team in the Pac-12. Like, I just think they have all the tools necessary mm-hmm. to win the league. But SC, to Hack's point, like, I, you can't argue what they've done. Like, you, you look up and it's 21-7, <laughs> then it's 38-4. Yeah. They just keep scoring. Like, I haven't seen offense like that since Bama in 2020. When it felt like they were just scoring every completion because guys were just running open. So I just think it's good fodder for us to keep talking about and and check, you know, the the lazy college football fans or even the lazy AP voters of, hey, like don't don't just go down your list. Oh, Clemson, okay, cool. Uh, OU, cool. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like Kentucky, give them respect with what they did against yeah. Florida. Like I I just think it's vital. Like Oklahoma State sitting at eight. They beat Central Michigan, who just lost to South Alabama, right? And yeah. Arizona State hung with them. Like I, I think it's a lazy historical. Yeah, I think we're. I think they're good. Versus, like, what is you know, real? You know what I hate about this yoga, and I, I think I think you're 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 hinting at at the whole the whole the problem being like preseason rankings, because like you you mentioned Oklahoma State. It's like the only reason Oklahoma State's at, at eight right now is because of where they started. Right. For I mean, sure. and, 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 and the, 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 what we're talking about is like the reasoning behind why somebody starts where they do. Like, I, I think one of the most accurate preseason rankings this season was SC. Started them at 14. You didn't give yeah. them a top 10 because of who they recruiting and they won the transfer. Hell, if anybody won recruiting, it was them in terms of having immediate success. But yeah. no, you, you didn't let the recruiting win put them in the top 10 or put them in the top five. You gave them a little bit of respect because they got a new coach and they got some ballers. You get put them at 14, and now they've impressed folks enough to where they're starting to climb the charts a little bit, maybe a little little faster than some folks 
think they should. But but when it's all said, that's how it should be done. Yeah. The product before was shitty. They 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 didn't win in recruiting. They got players in house that could win right now. They got a coach in house with very similar terminology to what the program had before. So you knew the transition would be quicker. There was a lot of good reason to say SC is probably going to have pretty quick success here. Um, yeah. That's the way it should work. But unfortunately, to your point, yo, a lot of times you look up and and somebody's logo has them in the top five, and you're like, what the hell? How'd that happen? Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's it's. It's going to be a fun dialogue. Like we'll move on after this because I want to ask you guys about Quinn Ewers because you've you've lived there, lived it, and been there before at the quarterback spot. But I'll say this about the AP poll: no majority of those writers, we all have, and, and all the voters, like they're good people. They live and die college football, but they also are like a lot of them are covering their team, covering their game. Like what world exists? I say this about the Heisman as a as a Heisman voter. There's like <clears throat> 900 Heisman voters. A lot of them are retired. Like a lot of like, how connected are you to the game? Like I would love if like you guys on the field of 12 who aren't calling a game on Saturday and are watching it all, like you guys should be the type of people that should be voting if we're going to have a poll that creates some merit. Because what it does, it mm-hmm. creates a boatload of dialogue, right? And then you you got to climb up that and beat that down. And I, I live it on the West Coast like every year. And I'm not saying like Oregon State's a top 10 team, but I am <clears> saying like, their two wins are more impressive than any any other team's two wins. More impressive than Michigan's two wins. I don't know if they beat yep. Michigan, but you see my point on that. So mm-hmm. um, food for thought. We'll hit that every week um, as, we, as we revisit that. But, Hack, I want to start with you. Uh, yeah. What went through your mind when you saw Quinn go down and then saw him back on the sideline in, you know, kind of cheering on his team as, as yeah. the game ended? And what do you think that means for their program and him moving forward? Yeah, I think I think obviously – anytime someone gets hurt, that's tough. Um, you know, selfishly, I was talking a, a big pile of shit heading into the season. I thought the kid had a ton of talent and I was excited to see him, you know, right timing, all that stuff. You know, maybe I'm not a huge fan of how he handled the whole go foregoing the senior year, getting Ohio state thing or whatever, but I gave him the benefit of the doubt and he was playing really well. Um, and I said this Saturday night, I think had he finished the game, we're talking about a different ball game. Um, and that's not taking anything away from Hudson card. I just thought he was seeing it. Well, I thought Sark was putting him in really good situations and he was executing now again, long game, who knows, but, um, you know, I just, I thought it was, I thought it was going to be possibly a different game now moving forward. You know, I think he just needs to, he needs to continue to be the same guy that got him the starting job and in the locker room as much as he can understanding, you know, what's going on, support, uh, support, whoever's going to be the backup because Hudson got banged up too. So um, support, whoever's going to start the game um, and stay in it, stay engaged, get healthy and get back on the field as soon as you can. Um, Because I think break that uh, down, break down, like staying engaged because everybody says that all the time. Yeah. But like you've lived it like what? yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, man. But you, at the end of the day, you got to fall back on your habits. Um, you know, I think if he – if for him to have won that job and and the way, like I said, I think that that game plan was going really well. He obviously spends some time um, with, with Sark and whoever's calling the plays down there and really understands the game plan. I think just continuing to have the discipline to stay in that all the way through it while handling your mm-hmm. other stuff to get back into it is what he needs to continue to do because it will be real easy to get out of it. Um, and hell nowadays, you know, kids could play video games. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of distractions, eliminate the distractions, stay disciplined and just stick to the process. And, you know, he, 
he should be back. And like I said, I'm excited because I think he's got a good chance for the second half of the year to solidify himself as the starter <laughs> for the next year or two, whatever it may be, and then um, see what happens. Okay, so Clint, I want to ask you about a, a specific quarterback because it's just popped in my head. He's an assistant at Cal now out here. But Kenny Hill, I remember watching the game, opener at A&M. Man, he looked awesome. And then I think he gets hurt in the game. Or so, or maybe he doesn't get hurt, but something happens and he kind of doesn't become that guy that we all thought he would be, right? Johnny Manziel 2.0. I think he trademarked Kenny Thrill after that opener. Because it was the first night on the SEC Network launched um, in a pretty competitive game. What do you like? What would you, if you were going to talk to him, like what would you say to him about managing? Because this is a guy who grew up in Austin, played high school football there, is is probably a god now based on how he played when he played. And now he's got a choice, right? Like how, how would you manage that if you were in the QB room with him? I would keep it super raw with him, man. Like I, I saw enough from Hudson card to, to one feel like he's, I mean, Hudson card from uh Quinn Ewers to feel like he, he, he is the future uh, at university of Texas right now. Now I know there's another guy coming and all that kind of stuff, but I saw enough from him in a small sample size, the way he stood tall in the pocket, made two or three big time throws, ice water in his veins. You don't do that against Alabama. Alabama shows you 8,000 different looks. I mean, it's very, it's more NFL like than it is college like in terms of how many different looks you see defensively to sit in the pocket, process all that, deliver the football accurately, even though it was a short, a, a small sample size. I, 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 I'm convinced that he's the better quarterback on campus right now. So I, I would be really raw with him and let him know that. Of of one, you, you've got to, as as Hack said, you you got to stay engaged and and everything that you did to win the job, you've got to continue to do it. Other than take snaps under center, um, and I'll be honest with you, with, with Quinn Ewers, I, I sprained my throwing shoulder, my AC and my throwing shoulder, and didn't miss a game. They shot it up thirty minutes before the game started. In fact, I threw the ball fifty two times in that game. It was it was the only time I broke fifty. 50 attempts in college football. They shot my arm up. I couldn't throw it 15 yards before uh, in warmups, and they shot me up, and I went and played. This is his left shoulder. If nothing's broke, I would expect him to be back sooner than four to six weeks or whatever it is they're giving him. So I would be real with him of, hey, this is your job. I've seen enough of you to believe in you that you can play. You've got to get that shoulder right and come back as quickly as you possibly can, um, and, and not and not you know just not be patient and not be um, you know I, I'm scared to get back in the heat, things like that. Like he's got to get back as soon as he possibly can um, because this team's got they're talented. They've got a shot. They got a shot to make some noise in the Big Twelve with him quarterbacking. Yeah, UTSA, Texas Tech, West Virginia. OU is November, or excuse me, October 8th, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, that trio of games right there at the end of, uh, in the, in the end of the middle of October is going to be hopefully something we get to see him back. But, but yo, but yo, that's, that's one thing I would tell him, yo, is like, man, to hell with that. Like you get your ass back for West Virginia. I don't give a shit if they lose three more games to, to teams that ain't no business beating them. Right. Mm -hmm. I I don't, I don't give, it don't matter. It don't matter who we're playing. Next week, UTSA, if you can go, get your ass back and let's go. we, we got to go play. It, this is not – now, again, I'm no doctor. I'm no doctor, yeah. but if something is not broke and it's not your throwing shoulder, it, the quicker you can get back, the more this team's going to buy into you. The minute you get back on that, they give you a four- to six-week deal and he comes back in three weeks, this team's going to be like, damn, 
This is, yeah. I mean, I'll be damned if I'm going to limp out of the huddle. I'll be damned if I'm going to leave a game hurt. It's, it'll be big how this guy comes back. Hack. And that's something, and that's something I point out too. I mean, I'd be like, listen, man, like you got a chance to, to show something that's not, not how you play, not anything like that, but show something not to the people forget, forget the fans, forget people, your teammates in that locker room. And if he, like I said, if I think if he approaches it the right way, it could be a big win for him, not only on the field, but off the field. And then, you know, like you said, with what's looming down the pipe, it'll that'll be big heading into the offseason for him, just showing that extra level of toughness um, and 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 trying to get back. And like I said, you know, obviously don't want anyone playing hurt, but um, I do. Point, I, I do, Hack. Hell with that. Hey, I, let, I, I'll put a ball on a Hack. Injured. I, <laughs> hey, dude, I didn't – listen, bro, I ain't – I missed – I missed – uh, half of football, and it was my last damn game I played at Penn State, and I got sacked 150 some odd times. So I, right. I'm with you on that, bro. Like I am with you on that. Right, but but the, um, but the, the statement yeah. though, hack that you're making, the statement, bro, of uh, like Quinn Ewers got an opportunity. It's unfortunate they get hurt, but he's got these doctors are going to say they've already said it four to six weeks. To Hack's point, he can take his ass over and play Madden with somebody in in, in at Ohio State over the internet right now. His buddies back there that he left. You know, he, he can go out on 6th Street and straight kick it and not take his his rehab the way, as serious as he should. He can take a little bit of that NIL money, and he can go Cadillac somewhere in some fine dining joints in Austin, which I absolutely love in the Hill Country, by the way. <laughs> or or he can show his guys, like, to hell with that NIL money. And they go, man, why are you working so hard? Because I'm ready to get my ass back in that huddle, man. What are you talking about? Like, he's got an opportunity to overcome this injury and come back sooner rather than later and help this team win ball games, or he can sit his ass around and spend some NIL money and take his time and just be another college athlete that's got some talent and doesn't ever play at or above their ceiling and doesn't ever, doesn't ever meet or exceed expectations. Yeah. It, what I love about his scenario, much like SC Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley, like he's with a guy at Steve Sarkeesian, who's really, he, he's he's so unique as a developer of quarterbacks and understanding the language, right? He played it at a high level as a Heisman finalist at BYU. Um, and then you look at the guys he's coached, they speak for themselves. I, I think he's in a, in a healthy scenario with a guy that's going to shoot him straight, help him, guide him, and, and see the opportunity, which I think you both you know said and stated mm-hmm. extremely beautifully right there. I, I, I'm excited for him because I think that he showed, when I watched it, he showed me he's tough. Yep. You know, I think that's something you can't really tell. Quarterbacks, NCAA allows eight padded practices. Quarterbacks have never gotten hit in practice since shit, man. Clint, probably when you were playing. Um, <laughs> so I loved it. Like, I was really, I was really impressed with him. Uh, quick story on him before we move on. Uh, he came to Elite 11, like, like a lot of you guys um, out there. And I, it was right after he went viral, right? For that, like, sidearm throw, if you guys remember that online. And everybody was, you know, raking him and loving him. And I remember, uh, you know, I do media training at Elite 11 and we pulled him aside and we were talking about storytelling and, you know, how people can shape your story for you. And he said, you know, Yoga, I just went to a camp. I never, I never asked to go viral. And, and that always has stuck with me because I think we live in a world where we just assume what 16 year old doesn't want to go viral, who doesn't want to be popular. And if you really track that back, like he has never been like a, outspoken guy on social media never been like a look at me guy i think he's been painted a picture uh based on other people's rankings of him and that's why i say like when he played he was a badass like i i was so impressed with how tough he was 
And, and I'll bet on him. I, I'm going to bet on him coming back. And I don't think he's going to be like the greatest college player of all time and meet that ridiculous ranking by recruiting experts. Because uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't co-sign on, on those types of ranks. I think it's too much on somebody that age, but I think he's going to be a dude. And, and I love that like B. John Robinson's in the backfield with him. And I love the staff that he's around, uh, even the defensive staff or, you know, there's so much made of Gary Patterson as a, analyst on on the broadcast uh, i think we forget that pete kutkowski is one of the top d coordinators in college football who designed the game plan like but guys have been around so much on the staff that i think it's gonna be a major benefit to, to him moving forward and excited to see how it shakes out so we'll see no doubt okay uh all right let's keep it moving um we'll, we'll get to sc eventually we'll, we'll finish up on the west coast but i want to talk about a&m and not because like it's fun to pile on like we're on this text thread just to paint a picture of everybody and it's like everybody in the field of 12. And on Saturdays, it's bonkers. It's a, it's a thread of, I don't know, 200 messages from like the beginning of games until the evening. And one of my favorite parts, fellas, is like late at night, I'm in a hotel after a late game. And I'm like, all right, what went on today with these guys? <laughs> There's a lot of dialogue around a on that thread. Um, what do we think? Like, like they were the, the, the kings of college football to a degree. Right? They didn't win the Natty, but they beat Bama. They have Jimbo coming back. They signed a great class. Like, ton was made around the dialogue with Nick Saban and, and uh, of course, um, AM's head coach, Jimbo, Jimbo Fisher. Just curious, Clint. Like, what do we think about where AM is today? Uh, well, I think it's a crying ass shame, if I'm being honest. I mean, you're talking about um, one of the, for lack of better terms, wealthiest programs in America. When you talk about the head coach making money, the, the facilities, the, the, the NIL opportunities to, to not ruffle any feathers, take that for what it's worth. The, the, the monies, they call it maroon money um, up there. You know, I mean, it, it's a crying ass shame that you don't, you don't, you're not putting a better product on the field. But if you, me personally, they are exactly who I thought they were. Um, they went out there last year and they, and they finished eight and four. Um, I, I thought, I thought a lot of people piled on, on Zach Calzada. Um, he was the same quarterback that was good enough to beat Alabama and be a, one of the main reasons that they did beat Alabama. Uh, but he wasn't, but he wasn't a good enough quarterback for A&M. And, and all the while, you got to look at what they're doing, um, on, on a couple of different fronts. Um, you know, I, I think when you look at Jimbo Fisher, first and foremost, he's an offensive minded head coach that's supposed to be uh, a quarterback developer and really a developer of talent across the board. And I think if you look at what – don't look at what they tell you. Don't look at what the recruiting boards will say. But look at things like the quarterback room, the quarterback play. Last year, Calzada wasn't enough. Haynes King was supposed to be the guy he got injured. Right now, Haynes King ain't the guy because he, he hadn't been good enough. At some point in time, we got to point the fingers back at an offensive-minded head coach. Damian Craig is the, is the, the quarterback coach for this football team. He's a former wide receiver. I mean, a, 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 an old-school quarterback has been coaching wide receivers, guys. Um, I mean, this is Jimbo Fisher's responsibility. And the fact of the matter is their quarterbacks have not played well since Kellen Mond left. And – if we're talking about overall development, I would say that you look at their senior class last year coming out in the draft, for the most part, they were all disappointments when it came down to performing at the combine and working out and being drafted. I just question what's going on in College Station from a development perspective and particularly on the offensive side of the football. What is Jimbo Fisher doing offensively? App State was significantly better at the quarterback position and significantly better at the play calling 
and scheming that was going on the offensive side of the football. And that should not be the case when we're talking about Jimbo Fisher, College Station, and the Texas A&M Aggies. I ain't going to disagree. Hack, what's your take on it? And and where do you see them right now in the world of college football, let alone, you know, their respective division? Yeah, I think it's, it's been disappointing for sure. I mean, I, I, I think you could argue they might be the most talented team in the West with Alabama in there as well. I mean, you just, in terms of, you know, what, what people say, recruiting rankings for whatever that's worth. Right. Um, But uh, they're playing like a team that's in that, since I'm a pod guy, I'm going to say it, Dagan will them a laugh. Uh, the bottom pod of the SEC West, I mean, it's them, LSU, and, I, you know, maybe those two teams at the bottom right now, in my opinion, in terms of what they've done. Um, and then, obviously, some historical data, Yogi, with the other guys. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, it, to, to Clint's point, it's a shame um, that, that – that program has no excuse for not being where they need to be. I don't know if it's a scheme standpoint. I don't know what it is. Um, but to your point, Clint, you shouldn't be out schemed by app state. Um, and even if you're out schemed, you shouldn't be out Jimmy and Joe uh, yeah. to a degree. You know what I'm saying? You gotta, you gotta be able to find a matchup still. And even if you got to dumb it down, play simple, play the stuff you can execute, they didn't even do that. Well, so um, you can't do that. That's tough. Um, and I, I think they're, they're at a crossroads at that program for sure. Hey, Yogi, I got a question for you, Yogi, on, on that front real quick, man, because this has always bothered me about Jimbo Fisher. And this is this is one of those things that I'm, I'm – why I'm a big product guy. I watched Jimbo Fisher last year grab Zach Calzada coming off the field and grab Anaya Smith coming off the field, his, his go-to receiver and his quarterback that he's he's riding, his, he's his starter. And there was clear confusion on, on just basic offensive football to where they were all three frustrated, and Jimbo Fisher's – flustering, throwing his paper over, got his glasses falling off his damn head and all that, right? That tells me that this this offensive unit, the main two players, the quarterback and the go-to receiver, are not on the same page to a point, not every now and then, to a point where the head coach is clearly losing his mind. Guess what I saw in the first half against Appalachian State? A receiver on on just a basic bubble screen doesn't block the most dangerous man and, and it gets blown up for a loss, I think. And that's fine. Kids make mistakes. Yogi, to your point, make mistakes. But Jimbo Fisher comes running on the field to the point where I'm like, damn, what was that flash? Like, what is Jimbo doing? Right? And, and he's yelling at a, at a receiver again. I'm just going, that was a basic bubble screen, man. That's basic. Hey, get the most dangerous man. Look up and whatever jersey's close to you that's a different color, block that son of a gun. Right? When you're messing up that kind of stuff, and your head coach is an offensive-minded head coach, Yogi, to me, that tells me that what's going on Monday to Friday ain't right. It's not just what's going on on Saturday. I'm, I'm curious, you as, a, a, as an instructor, as a former coach, and your experience in the game, w- when you see a head coach doing that, what, what is that – What is that? or a coach. When you see a coach doing that, what does that tell you? Yeah. I want to be thoughtful, like really thoughtful in my answer, because a, a major pet peeve of me as an analyst is that I think a lot of analysts give like hard takes when they don't know the environment. So I'm just going to state like, I don't know the environment. I don't talk to people at A&M every day. It's not like I am out here on the West Coast with these programs. But I will say this, and I learned this as a very young coach, to your point, at USC from Coach Carroll, by the way. Go Hawks. Great win last night. Love that. Um, 
he would often say, Yogi, you have five seconds after one of your quarterbacks or a player makes a mistake. Within those five seconds, you can make them feel like they screwed up or you can teach them. And whatever you choose to say is going to have a massive impact and not just that moment, but the trajectory of the learning of that individual. So the phrase we'd often use is learn your learner. Like, how did these guys learn? Are they auditory? Are they kinesthetic? They like hard coaching? Do they need soft coaching? Do they be pulled aside? You can't just ride with however it is you approach fixing mistakes with everybody. That's my premise. With that, I totally wholeheartedly believe that every player, specifically the quarterback, reflect the demeanor of the head coach. When I call games every weekend, I ask the same question to the same three groups of people. The head coach, what's the program's philosophy? Coordinators, what's the program philosophy? And the players they put in the room in the production meetings, what's the program's philosophy? And if there is any deviation, any deviation of all from the consistency of an answer, that team will lose. I'm about 95%, I predict the games based on that. You can tell. And my point is that when I saw what you referenced, and as I've seen it over the years, what, what comes to mind is, man, like he is trying to, he is coaching his way. And I see it with Elite 11, because um, I'm seeing these 16-year-olds, as, as you guys know, every year. The, the way they're learning is different, right? So that means maybe you have to eliminate the 10 clusters of words, right? And all those papers, like Stanford did that. They watched their game over the week, and they're running the slow mesh now, for crying out loud. They're on up-tempo. They don't have play calls as, as we've become accustomed to them with so much at the line of scrimmage. Like, what, what, is, what, is, what is the teacher asking the, the players to learn? And then how are they course correcting? Because it, it, it is a different environment. Whether you like it or you think it's soft or whatever. Like, the reality is athletes are learning differently. And what I've noticed from him is that his way has had success, very fair, but I wonder if you asked his trusted assistants, guys that have been with him at multiple places, like, hey, how has he adjusted? Saban's adjusted, right? Tom Coughlin is the most famous adjuster of all time. Like, how has he adjusted as a teacher? That would be the question I would ask. I don't know if he has or he hasn't. I'm sure he's developed. Like, he's he's not a, you know, he's a smart uh, coach, obviously. He's, he's, you know, had great success. But that's my question, right? As a guy on the outside looking in who knows the game, like, how, how has he had to adjust as a teacher? Because you're seeing the players on their heels. And I'm a fan of players like on their toes and leaning in a little bit. And, and I'm curious, like this is a critical moment for them. High stakes environment against Miami. I don't know how the hell they're still ranked after that loss. No disrespect to App State, but again, it's just based on historicals. Then a top 10 Arkansas team, both at home. And then they go face the air raid and, and Mike Leach. So I, I'm... I'm probably most curious with this team out of anybody in the country, man. Anyway, Hack, am I crazy? You know, I mean, you're the most no, recent I, player on this call. No, I mean, I'm on board with you. I, but I was also kind of an old school guy. You knew me. I, you know, whatever could happen. But I do agree with you. I mean, I think that there's ways to 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 touch a player in a different manner than you would have to do with another guy in terms of getting them to do what you want them to do and how they need to do it. Yeah. Um so and look, we also like we're everybody's going to overreact to this game because it's 100%. week two, right? And they 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 were missing a bunch of key players. And look, I'll, I'll say this: I loved what the Sun Belt did, um, and I'll get off my high horse here in a second, fellas. But like, you could, I don't care how much money you have in your collective, how many water slides you have at your facility, you still got to play 120 by 53 and a third. 
And you got to play hard. You got to play with great effort. Washington State, shut out Wisconsin the second half, right? The Sun Belt did what the Sun Belt did. Like, that's why we love the game. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't, none of that other crap matters. Like, it's cool. Maybe we'll get you a better player, but you got to play the ultimate team game. And I think that was a great reminder for all of us in college football as we saw those upsets happen. So. Hey, yo, yo, I'll I, 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 I'm, I'm still on this AM kick, bro. I, 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 my, my, my wheels are spinning, man. Roll, baby. Roll. Like, Let it go. Well, no, I mean, I, I just, I can't, I go back and, and, and heck, well, I, mean, we, I go back and I, and I watch, I watched the first half of the AM game opening week. And Haynes King is dropping back, and it's just bombs away. And four of the six balls he threw in the first half, one of them was a touchdown. Four of the six were ill-advised throws. Mm-hmm. And Jimbo Fisher coming in at halftime is like, oh, he's throwing it well, man. He's throwing it great, man. He's doing exactly what we wanted to do. You know, he just maybe maybe got a little bit carried away, didn't see the safety on that. No, man. I mean, he is careless with the football. He almost broke his leg carrying the ball one time because he didn't he didn't protect himself sliding. Like that's the kind of thing to me that when I hear that, I guarantee you this: if they make a switch to Max Johnson or if Haynes King comes around, you will see a completely different approach from the quarterback than we've seen these last two these first two weeks. It's going to be a guy that's getting the ball out extremely quick, a guy that's that's working low to high. And, and he's not he's not throwing a bunch of balls up into double coverage. He's not throwing a bunch of low percentage balls down the field in critical moments. The change is going to be something that we all saw that was very obvious. That that I don't I just in, when I watch it I just go this is a this is not a well coached football team. It's okay, not a I got well a question for you. It's, it's not you, a well coached offense. So you, you you've seen every snap of them, uh, and I love that dialogue. We got the Big Ten cover, the SEC, and, and out west here. Uh, but with that said. Uh, and I talked to David Shaw about this heading into the season because they took their program last year basically down to the studs and said, okay, we're kind of carrying some stuff that worked with Tyler Gaffney, that worked with Stephen Taylor, that worked with Christian McCaffrey. Like stuff just kind of kept bleeding in. And they looked at their call sheet and the offensive playbook and Coach Shaw and his staff were like, you know, like we don't really need that. Like that doesn't really work with the personnel we have. Like do you see that at A&M of them just like, carrying stuff that you saw at Florida State that was phenomenal with Jameis in a title run, but has not worked with Haynes King. Well, it's 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 really it's hard to really tell exactly from a quarterback's perspective because the offensive line is so is, is so porous. The offensive line is 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 unbelievable. They are struggling in a major way. They can't run the football. They can't protect the quarterback at all. But that even goes more to quit talking about taking deep shots. Quit talking about stretching the field vertically. Figure out creative ways to get your athletes touches and 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 catches or carries in the open field from sideline to sideline. The craziest thing in college football, in my opinion right now, it's one of the biggest changes from my era to today, is that every college coach that's worth a damn, they are, they are masterful at stretching the field sideline to sideline. Absolutely the best. And in, 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 that's the biggest difference. And the great ones absolutely crush it right now. A&M doesn't do it. They don't do it. They, they, they don't, they don't, I mean, week in, week out, other teams do it better than them. And it's why they, their, their offensive product is, is struggling. And so anyway, man, I, I don't, I don't know uh, what the answer is because the offensive line is, is struggling so bad, but there's been no, there's been no adjustments. We see football teams in the NFL and in college with poor offensive line play overcome it with great scheme, great play callers and great athletes. 
And and A&M can't, can't figure any of that out. Even They don't even attempt to do it. So I don't know what the answer is schematically, but I know a nine, $9 million offensive-minded head coach ought to be able to figure that shit out. Yeah, you know what's interesting is that uh, just kind of starting where we, where we began, Hack, they're playing Miami, who's ranked 13. They went 7-5 and five last year, bringing Mario Cristobal and beat Bethune, Cookman, and Southern Miss. Like, I, I just think it's – like, I, I'm a big Mario guy. Like, he's, he's been amazing yeah. to me. I, I hope he gets that thing rolling. I hope they win this weekend. But I just think you kind of look at that, and you're like, 13 versus 24. It's the U. And, yeah, and yeah. So you, they're getting the benefit of the 90s. Totally. kind of like, like, you know, Nebraska. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let, let's go there. Let's go – I want to talk Nebraska Notre Dame. We got 12 minutes left, and I want to touch a little bit on SC. So uh, do either one of you have a preference – where you want to go first? Okay, cool. Either so let's let's, let's talk Nebraska. Um, you know, some of us were shocked. Clint, you toasted in the beginning to their athletic director, Trev Alberts, of like, hey, nice job moving on and having to pay the money. Um, to me, what, when they made that move in week two, I'm curious your take, and, and maybe you guys have some insight on this from people you've talked to. But I was like, A, surprised, and B, to make a move that early, like either the locker room is like over it, or you think you have a chance with, you know, now the interim head coach to like flip it because it's so early. I'm curious, uh, uh, you know, Clint, I'll start with you. Like, where do you net out on that in, in your comment? Look, I, I think you just had to cut the head of the snake off. I, I, I think you were trending in the wrong direction. Um, you know, in, in order to do things differently, you, you can't leave the same guy in place for three weeks and start start moving in, the, in a different direction. Um, so I, I think you, you gotta you gotta get the 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 head of the snake out of the room so that you can make some changes. Um, you know, it, it may be you know a couple of the names that they're floating around right now um, are guys that aren't currently coaching. So it, it may be um, you know one of those one of those things where they don't they didn't feel good going behind the guy's back and 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 basically hiring his replacement while he was still coaching football. So they wanted to get him out of the way. Um, it's crazy to think that, that in college football, there's still a little bit of that. Um, I, I don't know what, what, what would you call integrity. that in terms of just doing things? Huh? Yeah, integrity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like just doing things the right way and, and, and treating people right. Um, it could have been a little bit of that. Um, it, it could have been a little bit of maybe the, the, the interim head coach is, is, is a, a potential guy that they want to see take over, which, which. I, I don't know why I don't, I'm not a big believer in that, in that kind of thing, unless you were just completely convinced, but there could be many reasons why they, they got went ahead and got frost out of there. I know it was very, very important because they spent seven and a half million dollars to do it. So it wasn't just, Hey man, I feel like making the move today. Yeah. Okay. Hack. How about you? Like, do you have thoughts on, on what will yeah. work there? Like, like if, if I, it was an open palette, would you be like, go back to yeah. the big 12 or yeah, no, like, where's your head? I'll, go? I'll hit it quick. I think, I think, the decision they made ultimately is a result of them not taking action earlier. And what I mean earlier is during the off season. Um, and the fact that they paid the money, I think it's a way of the administration at Nebraska saying, Hey, we, we probably screwed the pooch with that. And we're going, we're going to eat this seven and a half million. And at the end of the day, big money for all of us, school like Nebraska, whatever. So they'll, they'll figure that out and get through it. Um, when it turn when it comes to someone that's coming in, I think you do need to find someone who's going to be a player's coach, foundational. It's going to take a special hire to turn this place around because I think the the state of the program is still stuck back in the late 90s, you know, early 90s, late 90s, early 2000s type of success. It's not that program anymore. It's not that pull. They're competing against 
a ton of teams. They don't have a ton of in-state talent or really regional talent. So they got to go out and pull teams from, they got to go pull kids from Texas and, and, and the West coast and, uh, you know, Chicago, that Northeast corridor. So it's a hard pull. So the guy who comes in there is going to probably have to be able to lean on the transfer portal early get some talent in there. I know they tried to do that this year. It hasn't quite come to fruition. I think the way they dreamed, but um, for me, that's what you got to do. You got to, this hire, you can't miss. If you miss Nebraska's in the dark ages. I think that's interesting, right? Like we talked about this last time, uh, Clint last week of like, we live in a world where we're like, we love blue bloods, but sometimes we don't love like the reality around some of them. And we just, to the point of the eight people that we're talking about, like, is there a world where what if Nebraska went back to what worked? Right. To your point, like they don't have a ton of players in state. Uh, everybody's doing the NIL thing, right? Like every head coach at a new program, like we've seen it all happen off season. Like, mm-hmm. is there a world where like, you know what? Let's go run the triple option. You know, let's go get some guys, some JC dudes, some guys that like need to like need a new home. Right. Like and and go totally different than what is happening with other quote unquote blue bloods in college football. Crazy you go hire, hire old boy Navy. You got one, you got yeah. one coach, you better go pay him a boatload. Right. And the other thing too, Clint, is that's hard, man. Cause I think you even shrink your recruiting pool down more. Cause what are high school programs going to anymore now? You, yeah. you, you know, you used to run into five, six beer teams, triple option teams, you know, in your schedule, even back yeah. when I was in high school. And now you'd be lucky if you find one a year. Um, so the development of that system, I mean, you gotta be running that since you were young to be able to execute it. So, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I want to get to Notre Dame, but I'd be curious for Nebraska fans. You take eight and four, Nine and three, chance to be special and run, call it a gimmick offense. Or we saw it, right? It was Coach Callahan, saw them bringing the pro. Like we, or what kind of what you've seen. I don't know. Like, I'm not a triple option fan. I don't think any quarterback in the country in high football is excited <laughs> to do it. But I wonder if there's a freaky athlete that's like, yeah, let me go do this thing. Um, anyway, food for thought for the next time. Notre Dame, um, Drew Pine uh, will get the start against – our cow bears out here. Jack Plummer goes back to the state of Indiana. 364 days ago, he played at Notre Dame, but he was a starting quarterback at Purdue. It's kind of interesting how the world of college football works. I definitely didn't think that Cal would be 2-0 against an 0-2 Notre Dame thing. Oh, Notre Dame team. I thought they'd both be undefeated or at least 1-1 for, uh, for our Notre Dame Fighting Irish, our producer, Dagan. Uh, this one's going to be hard, so you might want to close your – close the uh the audio on on your feed here but what, what do you guys think about notre dame like freaking out kick back relax like we know what their schedule is it's not easy Clint, where, where do you see this thing going this year now they got to go to their back of quarterback well i mean look it's it's been bad man i mean they, they they lost a big lead in the bowl game last year um obviously the ohio state game um i mean that was really i, I you say was a was a, a good a good performance by them especially knowing what we know now that they were able to to keep that game even remotely close you can say it was a good outing but it was still a loss and then this week obviously is crushing the problem with the quarterback i i would say the change of quarterback is a good thing um but but the but the only reason i check up there is because if 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 the kid that they got now wasn't good enough to beat out what we've watched the last couple of weeks then, then who who are who is the Drew Pine kid they're they're plugging in? Is it Drew? Is that right? Yeah, um, Drew Pine kid they're plugging in. So I, I don't know what the answer is. Um, I hope I I really like Freeman as a head coach. I, I mean I I think he's got a real chance if he survives. Um, but boy, you talk about an ugly start now. Good God, it's been ugly for these these three ball games. Okay, Hack. Uh, yeah. I want to know what do you think their record is over the next four games? Cal 
at home at North Carolina, BYU at home, Stanford at home. What do they do over the next four? Uh, well, they got to be at least three and one. They got to. I, <laughs> I think they need to. I don't know what oh, I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't watched enough of them. I yeah. think that they just struggle. I don't think they have an identity. Uh, I think they have an identity in terms of the program, like in the locker room, the foundation. I think Freeman's done a good job of winning that this offseason, but offensively, they don't really have an identity, and even defensively. I thought they flew around against Ohio State, made some plays, but um, I think they need to settle in on on the X's nose and find out who they are, what they are, and what works. Yeah, this is a good time to – we see every year. You close ranks, and we'll see, we'll see how it shakes out. I'm excited. Cal, last time Cal went to Notre Dame was – 1967 so hmm. how about that man um all right real quick um sc let's talk about it man the trojans uh offensively i haven't seen a better team in two weeks watching what caleb williams can do i think he's legitimately living up to the hype i live in la though fellas what's your takeaway from your next of the woods where you are in our last three minutes hack let's start with you yeah, I, I kind of hinted at it early. You know, I think I think they present a lot of issues for defenses, and it's going to continue that way. I think with that conference until they don't play Utah in the regular season, right? They're, they're, they do. Uh, they, they play do. them in mid October so, in yeah, Utah. Yeah, so that so that that game I think is going to be a test because I think defensively they can kind of match up a little bit better than than most with them, um, and maybe force them to get a little more creative. But right now, they just. It's 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 really hard to stop. And defensively, the only thing I'm worried about is they're going to be playing a lot of snaps. I mean, they played 80 snaps against Stanford to to USC 63. When you got a home run hitting offense, um, <laughs> you know they're going to be they're going to be out there a lot. So it could go one of two ways. They could take those they could take those reps as valuable learning tools and develop some type of continuity, or you know they could be dog ass tired by the end of this year. So um, that's what those are two things I'm watching with them. Clint, what do you think, man? Yeah, man. I, look, I I think they're legit until they get to the college football playoffs. I mean, we, we we've yet to see one of the air raid attacks that spread wide open like that. We've yet to see one of them have any success in the college football playoffs. So I think they're gonna they're gonna. It's a different story once they get there. But I, I I've got them picked to be in my college football playoffs. I, look, I mean, there's no you can't argue with. 50-plus points a game, 500-plus yards a game. The quarterback that you went and got is, is completing balls at an 80% clip. He's thrown six touchdowns, no interceptions. The receiver that you went and got, your lead receiver. Another receiver that you went and got is your number two receiver. You brought in a running back, I believe. He's your lead running back. I mean, I, hell, all of the pieces that Lincoln Riley went and got that he felt like this roster needed at the time, he's literally plugged those guys in and they're playing. Like, I, I remember playing hacking. Well, we'd get this – we get two or three junior college guys in or two or three transfers in and be like, damn, that dude looks good. Boy, this dude can help us. Dude, never pissed yeah. a drop. Dude, three never pissed a drop. And you're like, damn. What <laughs> happened there, right? Lincoln Riley's bringing these dudes in. And look, we knew Caleb was going to be special. We knew Addison was going to be special. But he's bringing these dudes in elsewhere and plugging them in. And they're all – they're not just playing. They're the lead horses. You know, yeah. they're the number two receiver in a in a in uh, an explosive offense. So – I'm buying what what SC is selling at least two weeks into this thing. They're they're fun to watch, man. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Saturday night at the Cali Fresno State will be sold out. I'm calling their game after that against Oregon State. We'll break that one down next week. But Oregon State has two NFL corners that will play press man all day. So it, it, it's gonna be a fun road for them. Uh, the coolest thing about Lincoln and SC, I will say this, is that he challenges players to trust almost blindly because of the sense of urgency that they have within that program and also with all the players coming from everywhere. 
and they have all thrown down and bought in. It, it is one of the coolest cultures and it's probably the most unique roster any of us have seen in our lifetimes in terms of what they've done in the last eight, nine months and revamping that roster. So uh, I love our roster here, though. It's been fun. Fellas, I appreciate the time. Can't wait to do it again with you next week. It's the Field of 12 presented by Bet Rivers. Make sure you check us out on SiriusXM if you missed anything. And if you got any questions, just hit up the fellas on social media. I'm sure they'll love getting back to you. Until then, stay safe. Peace.